listening to a podcast from The National. You know a war has gone ugly when bombs are being planted in toys. That's happening in Syria, which is seeing no shortage of atrocities. Human rights organizations have long criticized landmines and booby traps for being one of the most destructive weapons of war. They are considered highly controversial for their indiscriminate targeting of both civilians and soldiers alike. For that reason, their use is also utilized as one of the most effective and destructive weapons in a war of attrition. The civilian deaths from mines, however, is often an unfortunate collateral aspect of the bombs. But what about when the mines are deployed with the intention of targeting the civilian population? A recent Doctors Without Borders report found that to be the case in eastern Syria, with landmines and booby traps deployed in the homes of residents. Some, they found, were even planted in toys. The war in Syria has already been witness to a massive refugee crisis, chemical weapons, and an intensive bombing campaign. So what can be done? On this episode of Beyond the Headlines, we take a look at one of the ugliest aspects of war. Imad Oun is a field communications advisor for Doctors Without Borders. He recently helped publish a report out of the organization that presented their findings on the use of mines and booby traps in Syria. We talked to him on the phone, and this is what he had to say about the situation. Well, um, the situation in northeast Syria particularly is, is quite alarming. The, the issue is that um, it has quieted down a little bit in terms of fighting. Um, so a lot of people who have been displaced uh, for over a year or two years, they're starting to come back home. So we're talking here about the governors of Hasake, Raqqa, and Deir Zur. So a lot of people are coming back home, but many of them are not really aware that there's still a lot of risks awaiting, for, awaiting them there. So um, what we're seeing, and this started in November more or less, we saw at the MSF hospital in Hasake a big surge um, in number of patients who were coming through with, uh, with injuries related to landmines, booby traps, uh, explosive devices that were left off from the war. Um, and a lot of these injuries are quite severe. So we have a lot of cases where um, children have, been, have had their limbs amputated or adults. Um, more than half of the patients are actually children and some of them are as young as one. Now, um, in the MSF hospital in Hasake, um, 75% of the patients that we see uh, with these kinds of cases, they come from the Zur governorate. Um, the issue there is that in 2017, uh, Deir Zur specifically as a governorate had the highest number of people displaced within Syria. So there's a large number of people that had been displaced and they're now slowly starting to come back. And that's why the surge happened um, in the hospital. The other specific issue to Deir Zur is that um, the health system is, is, is quite destroyed. A lot of the hospitals and clinics are either abandoned or they don't have enough supplies to treat severe injuries like that, um, which means that people have to travel sometimes up to six hours to get to the nearest free-of-charge hospital, which is the, the MSF hospital in Hasake. So all of these factors are really making it quite difficult and quite traumatic for people who, um, who thought that they're finally able to go back home, everything is safe, and then, you know, sometimes in some cases, the minute they enter the house, something explodes and they find themselves, you know, harmed again or um, in a very difficult situation. Let's break it down. Who's setting up these traps, uh, whether they're booby traps or landmines? Who's responsible? 
so, I mean, over the past years, uh, that part of Syria has, has seen a lot of violence and a lot of fighting. And uh, over a period of time, it's quite known now that uh, the IS group was there for a while. So, uh, to be honest, it's not it's not something that we've asked our patients, but the assumption, and because it's quite well known uh, which were the groups that were controlling this part of Syria, um, you can imagine that it's, poten- it's potentially the IS group or other armed uh, groups or other armed actors that have went in and left these devices. Some of them are remnants of war, so some of them are just there because it's either um, um, a missile that didn't explode or something like that. And then we also see, however, uh, booby traps, which are more which are more targeted at harming civilians. So it's a combination of things that are left behind by the war effort and things that are set in place to, do- to harm people. So the terrorist groups, if they are responsible for the landmines, I mean, what's the point of the, the booby traps? Is it more of a psychological warfare? Are they trying to get people to leave the area? Uh, I think, to be honest, it's it's a bit hard to tell what is the objective. I mean, it's things that you see in a lot of different contexts, in a lot of different war zones after the war effort ends. Um, I think it's just terrifying civilians and creating that wave of terror, particularly at the time when a lot of these civilians are going back home, at the time when, in a way, their defenses are down. You know, you go back home, you enter your house, you feel a bit more relaxed. It's it's uh, it's the place that you know so well. Um, so they're targeting them at a point of weakness, in a way, or at a point when um you know they feel like they're finally safe after many years um moving from one place to another escaping the fighting you said that a big portion of the patients are children why is that the yes. case um so half of the patients that we've seen in the msf hospital are children um i think this is uh, related a little bit to um you know children they're not really always aware of of um of the, what these mines look like or what these unexploded ordinances or booby traps look like. So you have a lot of times when um, when parents come back home, you know, they, everything looks fine, but then the children go around playing with things that they that they don't recognize or touching their toys, and sometimes some of the toys are booby-trapped. Um, so I think it's mostly just the lack of knowledge amongst children about what these things look like or what the risks are. Um, and then generally, I mean, as you know, in, in a family you have two adults and sometimes um, several children so also statistically you'll have more children um, who are returning home but um, the, obviously as I said some of the, the toys are booby trapped so there's also obviously the intention to harm children um, which is which is definitely there and we see it quite often we hear a lot about toys different toys uh, teddy bears uh, toy cars or toy things that are that are booby trapped um, and I think that's why we see disproportionately more children you mentioned that, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the times the treatment is amputation. Does the, does the MSF have uh, the budget for synthetic limbs or is that, I know they cost a lot sometimes, so how, how are you addressing that? At the moment, so at the moment in the um, in the hospital, we're treating patients. Uh, if if the limbs have to be amputated, we amputate them, and we're offering them some basic materials they can use. There is a hospital in Amman uh, for MSF that does the prosthetic limbs, and in certain cases, from different countries in the Middle East for victims of of, uh, of mines and booby traps, we do refer them to the Amman hospital where they get uh, the prosthetic limbs. So at the moment, we're trying to find out if we can do the same. The problem is obviously movement and transportation and how to get people from that region uh, to Amman. 
um, you know, you're talking about visas and, and crossing borders and all of that. So I think um, it's definitely being considered. At the moment, we're stabilizing and we're offering immediate support and we're offering uh, whether it's crutches or uh, wheelchairs. And then in, in specific cases, there will be discussions about how we can refer them to the Amman Hospital. The Amman Hospital specifically receives people at the moment from Iraq and Yemen uh, and other parts of Syria. So, um, so we're trying to figure out the best way to logistically get people from that region in northeast Syria to Amman. What about the hospitals uh, in the areas of Syria that are seeing the surge of booby traps, of mines? Uh, what kind of resources do they need? Are they okay at this point? No, the hospitals, I mean, as you might expect from uh, most of the medical infrastructure across Syria, I mean, a lot of the hospitals, um, a lot of the hospitals have been bombed. Some of them, the doctors have left, the specialized doctors have left. A lot of them are out of supplies, so they can't really function properly. In Deir Zur, we know that, um, you know, obviously there are a lot of hospitals that are damaged there and not operational at all. But we know there are a couple of, uh, of uh, clinics that are still functioning. However, they don't have the, the specialized staff. So we know from some of our patients who arrive at the MSF hospital, we know that they've been to several other clinics, but there were only nurses there or there were doctors that couldn't do surgery because all the specialized doctors had left before. So um, I think that's also creating one issue where, you know, parents or people in general have to go from one place to another to find out that there's not enough resources. And sometimes they don't have blood. Um, so it's really a lack of human and financial resources to um, to address this. And so we, we, I mean, as MSF, we've also started... Um, supporting some of the hospitals in Deir Zur recently after the surge, just to make sure they have the capacity to do basic uh, basic surgery or, uh, or uh, basic operations. Um, the other thing is that um, this is, I mean, this is obviously across northeast Syria, but the thing is there are also a few clinics that are private, so people have to go there and pay, which is also a deterring factor for, for many of them. Um, especially because a lot of them, you know, have been moving for years and they can't really afford to pay for uh, for, for for operations or for medical care. So uh, it really means that there aren't a lot of options for people who can't afford it or for people who live in remote areas where the you know where hospitals are quite far. You uh, work in Iraq, Lebanon, Sudan, Syria, and Yemen, war-torn uh, yes. countries. Do you yes. see? this as being a trend after uh, the field operations are done that booby traps are left over is this or is this just unique to Syria uh, it's not unique to Syria. I can tell you that we definitely see it in Iraq. In Yemen, not not yet, not specifically. I mean, in Yemen, you might see remnants of war. So you might see unexploded missiles or um, things that were uh, that are part of the war effort that where something went wrong and the missile didn't explode, so it lays there on the ground for a while. Um, but in in Iraq, we also see it because it's a, it's a similar context in a way. The fighting has winded down. The fighting has ended a little bit. So people are starting to return home, but um, but the situation is similar to northeast Syria. So we were seeing it uh, in Mosul. I know that we, we had um, some cases in Mosul in the past when people were after the fighting in Mosul ended and people started returning home. There was also a surge in one of our hospitals in West Mosul um, of patients who had injuries related to booby traps and landmines. And it's a similar it's a similar situation. It's a similar technique in a way. A lot of the toys are booby trapped. A lot of the, you know, things at home. Sometimes the blanket is booby trapped. The pillow, um, 
sometimes under they put it under the carpet so um so it's similar in a way um the difference in Mosul is that it's still more or less an urban center so even though a lot of the infrastructure is damaged the medical infrastructure there's still our hospital in west mosul there are a number of other hospitals in east mosul and distances are a lot smaller there so you would you wouldn't necessarily have the issue of of um, the same issue of access because the distances are quite long in in northeast syria whereas in mosul it's still a bit more controlled so what is currently being done to fight this and what more could be done so at the moment, uh, there are demining actors that are looking into uh, working in northeast Syria. Uh, the problem is resources um, available for them. So that's really one of our asks as MSF is to prioritize the work of some of these demining actors so they can go in, they can do the proper assessments in the northeast region, whether it's Raqqa, Hasaki, or Derizur, and they can start demining because really everything, all the data you look at predicts that there will be more people coming back if the situation stays relatively calm in that area. Uh, people will try to go back home. And so one of the angles, one of the aspects is uh, supporting demining actors to go in and do the work. Um, the other thing, which could potentially be something that demining actors help with, but also local authorities, is just make sure that there's an awareness amongst the communities, especially the ones that are returning to this region, uh, about the risks, about you know how to identify a mine or a booby trap, um, you know, first aid, if something happens, what would you do immediately afterwards, who do you call? Uh, that kind of basic knowledge just so people understand understand the risks um, if they decide to go back home. And then if they do, then to understand um, how to deal with a potential incident like that. So um, there is a need for that kind of resourcing to these activities. At the same time, I mean, we talked a lot on this. Um, we talked a lot about um, the infrastructure and the health infrastructure. And I think that's more relevant. That's re- just relevant to all of Syria and to potentially all of Iraq and places that have been destroyed by war. Um, you, you do need to invest in 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 resourcing your medical facilities. It really plays a big role, particularly um, on the issue of demining, because if if you're in an accident, the amount of blood you lose would, would potentially determine what happens to your limb. So if you're six hours away from a hospital, then then it, chances are you're going to get amputated. So it's really also a question of how close you are to a medical facility and how quickly you can access a, a medical facility. So there's definitely a need to invest in the medical infrastructure to make sure people can quickly access the care they need. All right, well, good luck with your work and thanks for joining the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to thank Imad Own for being on this episode of Beyond the Headlines. I'd also like to thank Kevin Jeffers for producing. You can find all the Nationals podcasts on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. I've been your host, Nasr al-Wesmi. Thank you for listening and goodbye.